Good morning, brothers and sisters. It's a joy and an honor to be back with you again uh, to proclaim the Word of God. And though we are in unusual uh, circumstances, uh, the Word of the Lord proves true, and He will continue to, to feed His people regardless of the unique situation we uh, we must be in. So, so we can be encouraged by that and. As I was preparing this sermon, I wasn't anticipating any of this to uh, to happen. But uh, but as I've thought about it in light of our present circumstances, this is I do believe a providential word for our time right now, as we consider the whole body of Christ and uh, and particularly the uh, the weaker members that uh, that we uh, want to uh, defer our preferences to, and so. Um, so turn with me, if you haven't already, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. We'll start in verse 12 and go to verse 27. <clears throat> For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have composed the body of Christ how you have chosen it to be. And we ask, Lord, that uh, we would put on your perspective of the body of Christ, that we would put off 
any uh, worldly perspective that uh, may have seeped into uh, our minds um, with how we look at ourselves, with how we look at others. And I ask, Lord, that uh, um, that through uh, through Jesus Christ, that we might uh, love one another well here at Trinity. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. I ask that uh, that you would uh, build up your body today. In Jesus' name, amen. In his books on the origin of species and the descent of man, the British naturalist Charles Darwin wrote about the parts of the human body that he considered to be rudimentary or aborted. The organs of the body that used to have a function uh, for our evolutionary ancestors but now have no function whatsoever. Uh, they, according to his view, are, are just old, useless organs that are just hanging around. Not only could you live without these organs, but these organs serve no purpose for you at all. Uh, later, these parts were called by, uh, vestigial organs by those who followed in Darwin's thinking uh, because they were, they were considered to be vestiges uh, or... Uh, Leftovers from ancient hominoid ancestors. So uh, which parts of the body did Darwin think had no function? Uh, well, he thought that uh, wisdom teeth, the coccyx or tailbone, the appendix, certain muscles in the body, uh, uh, muscles in the ear specifically, uh, body hair and, and, and more were, uh, were vestiges. Now since Darwin, science has come to find that each of these parts do have a function, be it ever so small, and yes, there is still some debate and some mystery, but uh, take the appendix, for instance. I uh, found an article by WebMD published in uh, 2007 uh, saying that the, that the appendix may have the purpose of protecting good bacteria in the gut. Interestingly, the article even said that it was designed to do so. Well, brothers and sisters, if there was uh, a design... And there's a designer, right? And as Christians, we believe that, that there aren't vestigial organs, but that God made each of our parts with a purpose according to his profound wisdom. Now, my purpose today is not to walk through the scientific arguments uh, against uh, vestigial organs and evolution, but, but to draw an analogy for us. As a church, do we often live like there are vestigial members of the body of Christ, like there are disposable, dispensable, unnecessary persons with little to no function in the church. God wants to change our perspective to his perspective. And how does he see people in the church who seem to have little or no function within the body? Well, as we saw in our text today, he calls them indispensable. Indispensable. Absolutely necessary. Several years ago when I read this passage, this word popped out to me and I wondered, well, how, how is it that the weaker members of the body are indispensable to the rest of the body? How are they really and truly indispensable to me? And not just abstractly or mysteriously necessary to me. 
Well, today I hope uh, to answer these questions and may Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, transform our perspectives of ourselves and of one another. So today let's consider three points. First, let's consider the world's perspective. The world's perspective often seeps into the church. And that, that, that perspective is that, uh, that we tend to view ourselves and, and others as, as dispensable, as not very necessary. Second, let's consider God's perspective of the church. That even the weaker members are truly indispensable. And third, let's consider how Jesus transforms our perspectives. Before we look at these three main points, let's begin by looking at the message of 1 Corinthians, the analogy of the body of Christ and, and how we uh, become a part of the body. 1 Corinthians was a letter written uh, by the Apostle Paul around AD 55 to a very messy church in Corinth. There were gross sins that would shock just about anybody. There were divisions between believers of all sorts, some saying that they followed Paul, others saying that they followed Apollos, others saying that they followed Peter, and some that just said, oh, I just follow Jesus. They were united to evil people that they should have been divided from, and they were divided from Christians that they should have been united to. So it was just a mess. In our passage for today, it was clear that the church had a toxic culture of, of some Christians thinking that they were better than others. And other Christians uh, who were wishing they had different, more visible gifts that were more attractive and honorable from a worldly perspective. Paul knew that this perspective needed to change if the divisive culture of the church would change. Let's now look at 1 Corinthians uh, 12. Verses 12 and 13. And let's consider the, the analogy of the body of Christ and, and how we can enter into it. Verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Paul starts the analogy of the body with, with how uh, Christ's church is like it. Christ has one body, and his body is made up of many members. There's a unity, and there's a diversity. Christ's body is the unity, the singular whole. The parts of the body are the diversity. How does one then enter into the body of Christ? Verse 13, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. It is through the Holy Spirit that we are united to and become a member of the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit regenerates us. That is, we're born again. This is what Paul calls the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So this, this here, this is not water baptism. This is the spiritual reality that the sign of water baptism points to. So it is through the Holy Spirit that we, were, that we are made spiritually alive. We're enabled to repent of our sins and believe on the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. And through all this, 
We're united to Christ himself. We become a part of his body, his church. However, we often view ourselves and other church members from a worldly perspective. And so that brings us to our first point today. Let's now consider the world's perspective that often seeps into the church. Let's look at now starting at uh, verse 14. For the one body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Last Sunday, Pastor Chris preached on Revelation 17 and on the great prostitute named Babylon the Great. This prostitute, this this pagan city of Babylon, represents the worldly influences that are against Christ and his church. So the thoughts, beliefs, and values of Babylon the Great sometimes, sometimes influence our perspectives. So we need to be aware and on guard. The world's perspective, the Babylonian perspective, of weak people is that they aren't needed. And that they they should aspire to become more visible, more well-known, more productive, more influential, more attractive. Your worth is found in how others see you. When this worldly, fleshly perspective overcomes someone in the church, they become insecure, uh, fearful. Uh, They begin to compare themselves with others in the church. They begin to think that they don't belong at all. They begin to think that diversity is inherently bad. But is it? The one body of Christ is a diversity of members. And it's no mystery to anyone that the more, with more diversity comes more complications. The more people uh, there are and the more different they are, the more we can expect various preferences, different needs, and misunderstandings. The challenges of diversity, uh, as uh, stressful as they may be, is is just a small price to pay for the beauty of the body when all its different parts are working together as God designed it to be. In fact, the more homogeneous a church is, the, the, the more it caters to one demographic or, or people or, or subculture, uh, the more unhealthy and, un- and divided the church is. I mean, think, uh, think about churches that uh, split services with one service being traditional and one service being uh, contemporary. Those, those churches are, are they're splitting the body of Christ and, and, and actually hurting it by removing the opportunity for people to love each other and give up their preferences for one another. Love builds up the church. It does not indulge in selfish preferences. So right now, ask yourself, do I have a worldly perspective of myself and my role in the body of Christ? Do I view myself as dispensable and unneeded? Do I view anybody else in this church as dispensable? 
Now let's consider our second point from this text. Let's, uh, let's consider God's perspective of the church. That the members of the body of Christ are indispensable. Verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. It is God himself who has made each member what it is with its own particular function. We, we often forget this and uh, we put a ton of pressure on ourselves for, for not being gifted like other people. John Calvin said, Each member ought to rest satisfied with its own place and station and not envy the others. That member, therefore, who will not rest satisfied with its own station will wage war against God. So let's not fight with God. Let's not wage war with God. Other people have tried that. It doesn't work. (laughs) We've all probably tried it at some point. But let's rest in God's design. And let's function in the ways that he has gifted us today. Let's see how, how, how God uses us directly and indirectly to build up his body. Verse 21 The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. No part can say it has no need of another part. For those parts that that seem to be weaker, that uh, seem to be less honorable, that seem to be less presentable, are actually indispensable. I mean, that's such a powerful word. All the parts, even the so-called weaker parts, are are absolutely necessary. They're essential for the well-being of the whole body. Therefore, the parts that may seem weaker are treated by the church with greater honor and modesty. So let's narrow our focus now. Let's narrow our focus from from the whole of the body to those who may seem to be weaker members, uh, those whom, uh, according to this text here, God calls indispensable. First, we will consider who these members are, and then we will see how they are truly indispensable. So who are these indispensable members? There are are some members who are legitimately weak. Uh, Perhaps it's because of their sin, or their suffering, or their immaturity. Those members, they, they may be needy, or lacking wisdom, or knowledge, or skills. They may be sick, dying, poor, disabled, depressed, overwhelmed, Fearful, or perhaps they may be just acting foolishly, lacking self-control, maybe stuck in some outward cycle of sin, or perhaps, uh, perhaps they're, they're they're members who are theologically immature, which is kind of way off, and thus they have a have a weak conscience or or weak faith. And with our context, even today, perhaps they're they're just individuals who are more susceptible to to illness, and so. 
We need to consider that. <laughs> they may be very strong and faith and strong in so many other ways, but have a susceptibility. From a fleshly, worldly perspective, these people are viewed as less honorable, shameful, or, or unpresentable. But that is not how we see each other in the church. The members are not vestigial members, useless organs. These members are still a functioning part of the body. We often, we often think that you know, once you get that label, that you're a weaker member, that, uh, man, that's, that, that's where you stay, and that's your forever role in the church, and you can't, and you shouldn't even try to change it. And sometimes we think that, that the elders and deacons and leaders are, are never to be considered weaker members of the body. These two ideas, are they're, they're just not always true. Our function within the body of Christ is dynamic. It's dynamic. Sometimes the stronger members of the body fall into a season of sin or suffering and, and they need much more help from the body than what they can give. We go through different seasons in life, some very dark when we desperately need the church to come around us. We were all infants at one time, right? Just completely dependent on others. And one day, we'll be dying and, and once again, completely dependent on others. So when we think about those who are weaker, let's, let's think about ourselves. When we were weak in the past, how we might be weak now, and, and one day, how we too may be weak. So, so now that we've thought about who the weaker members are, how is it that they are truly and practically indispensable? I mean, is Paul just, is, just, he's, is he just exaggerating uh, to make those members feel better? Uh, is he just uh, talking up the little man, just tickling his ears like a crooked politician looking for votes? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So here are four ways that, uh, um, of many, four ways of many that the weaker members um, are, are indispensable and, and, and they build up the church. So the first reason why uh, the weaker members are indispensable is that they help unify the body. They help unify the body. We see this in our text today. Verses 24 through 26. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that... Now this word indicates purpose. This is God's purpose for honoring all the parts of the body in order that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. When there is a diversity of members treating each other with honor and without partiality, it unifies the body. Diversity plus mutual honor equals unity. John Calvin stresses this point in his commentary, saying, The unity of the body is of such a nature as cannot be maintained but by a diversity of members. Very interesting. So, so the unity of the body can only be maintained and preserved by a diversity of members. Just like the human body, isn't it? It's genius. 
You can tell it's a design by God Himself. So diversity maintains unity when there's that mutual honor. I'm sure you've seen time and time again when, when there is someone in need in the church and, and, and the church rallies around to help them. Maybe somebody has a baby or, or somebody's in the hospital or, or, or someone's struggling financially. When someone has a need, it, it provides an opportunity for one member to unite themselves to the member in need and to others who are helping, uh, to share life with them, to give with them, to give to them. A second way that weaker members build up the body is in how they they provide an opportunity for others to receive grace. They provide an opportunity for others to receive grace. What I mean by this is that when when the other members love those who are weak and, and, and seek to help them, those members turn to Christ for grace to help them help the weaker brother. So this is an indirect way that a weaker member builds up their brother and sister. But it is still important nonetheless. The stronger members, they're they're not strong within themselves. That would be a worldly perspective. They are strong because of Christ's strength. As Ephesians 6.10 says, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. When we as weaker members allow a brother or sister to help us, to love us, we're putting them in a position where they need to depend on God for help, for wisdom, for humility, for finances, whatever it may be. So just think about that. If if we didn't have weaker members, we wouldn't need to rely on God as much. And our faith would be weaker. Our faith would be weaker. Sometimes we think that, that weaker members, they're, they're just getting in our way from doing God's kingdom work. That they're, they're slowing us down or, or they're distracting us from worship. But the moment you begin to think this way is the moment that you've actually taken your eye off of God's kingdom work and you're looking to achieve your own selfish ambition, your own kingdom. Now, some of you may say, I, I, I don't want to be a burden. I'm fine. Let the church help the people who really need it. I've heard this before plenty of times. (laughs) Let me just push back on this way of thinking for a little bit, if I could. Galatians 6.2 says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. That's, That's reciprocal. That's give and take. If you don't want to be a burden, I mean, how are other people in the church going to fulfill the law of Christ and love you? So let others carry your burden with you. Bless them with your burden. Let them love you. Build a bond with them. Let Christ love you through them. Let God bless them with his Holy Spirit's help so that they can help you. Don't let pride keep you from letting others love you. This can be really hard for some people. It can be very hard. A third way that weaker members are absolutely necessary for building uh, up our bodies is that they remind other believers of their own weak spiritual condition before God. 
They remind other believers of their own weak spiritual condition before God. When you see someone struggling with sin or suffering, or when you see a young child, you're seeing a picture of yourself and your true condition before God. We're all children before God, right? We've all been wayward and wasteful. We're all foolish in light of God's wisdom. We're all constantly needy for His help. We're all poor and sick, and our bodies are wasting away. Even when we are strong, we're actually not all that different from the weaker members of the body. And a fourth way that weaker members build up the body is that they give the rest of the body a longing for Christ's return. A longing for Christ's return. When we share in the life of a struggling saint, our perspective shifts from seeing this world as a nice place to live, kind of comfortable, to seeing the miseries and sufferings of this life. That this world is not our home. That we are exiles and pilgrims. And it pushes us to groan and pray, Come, Lord Jesus, come. One of my best friends growing up, uh, he lived across the street from me. We went to the same church, the same youth group. He was a strong believer, always encouraging me. We uh, eventually we eventually lived together in seminary uh, in our mid-twenties, and uh, but eventually it became clear that he was becoming very fearful, very forgetful, um, beginning to become paranoid. He couldn't hold a job. He rarely went to church. And then after a few uh, tragic events, he was hospitalized in a locked psychiatric stabilization unit and diagnosed with a chronic mental illness. When I speak with him now, I try to encourage him, and, and, and I still see that God has a hold on his heart. But it makes me groan for Christ to come back and heal him and make his mind right again. It pains me to see him continue to suffer. And I want Christ to return and make all things new. So seeing the suffering of our brothers and sisters, it begins to wean us from this world. It makes us long and pray for Christ's return in our heavenly home. So, so we've seen how we can be influenced by the world's perspective. And if we're honest, we're guilty of it. And we've seen God's perspective of the members of the body. And if we're honest, we still have a ways to go to seeing how people, as to seeing people how God sees them. So, so feeling guilty and a little overwhelmed yeah, might be expected. So how does Jesus lift these two burdens? What promises do we have in Christ? How does Jesus give us the grace to transform our perspective to his perspective so that we can love each other well here at Trinity? So turn with me to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, starting in verse 1 through verse 7. At the end of the book of Romans, Paul also is writing about uh, how the church is to relate to the weaker members of the body. So pretty similar to our text today. Romans 15, starting in verse 1. We who are strong 
have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of, let, let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. We see a command here to bear with the failings of the weak and to deny ourselves of our own pleasures and comforts in the course of helping the weak. But this command doesn't come out of nowhere. It's founded on the death of Christ. Christ did not please himself when he endured the beatings and mockings and and whippings and, and the shameful and long death on the cross. He denied himself for us who were weak, us who were truly his enemies. We were dispensable, the refuse of the world, and and he was truly indispensable. And he became dispensable for us. He was cut off from his people and dishonored and disposed that we might be redeemed and brought into his body and have an honorable purpose within his body. So let this love of Christ, the love of Christ that he had for you to do this, become so real to your hearts that it transforms how you see yourself and how you see others around you. Meditate on Christ's sacrificial love for you and for your neighbor. Let it humble you and eat away at any worldly perspective that you may have of yourself and others in the church. And then go and consider how to build up your neighbor. Now, for those of us that may feel like this is an overwhelming task, be encouraged. You're not alone. God has promised to help. Let's look now at verses 5 through 7 to see what God has promised to us as we go forth and love each other with Christ's love. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let's pray. We praise you, O Christ, that you have welcomed us through your suffering, through your death. You welcomed us to even be a part of your body. I mean, how intimate that is. You've kept no distance. You've you've put your spirit within us. How wonderful that is. We praise you, Lord Jesus. We ask Jesus that you would help us now, that you would fill our hearts with the love of Christ so that we could love others well, so we could have a right perspective of ourselves. Thank you for your promises, O God, that that you will give us endurance, that you will give us encouragement as we day by day live to glorify God with one voice as we are one church. Thank you, Lord, for your promises here. Thank you for Christ. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.